Hello and welcome to the Improv Sound Off. I'm Khan Varal. With me today are Curtis Earhart and Kenny Laurie, as always, as well as our guest, Susan Messing. Uh, Susan, could you, for the benefit of those listeners who may not know who you are, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with improv? Oh, God, that's that's not loaded at all. Um, <laughs> easy, I can do that in a minute. Um, Go for it. Okay, basically, uh, I was a theater major. I come from New Short Hills, New Jersey. I went to Northwestern University as a theater major in Chicago, uh, Evanston, Illinois, and I was a horrible actress. After I graduated, I discovered improv. There was a place called Improv Olympic. Uh, And then later on, there was a threat of a lawsuit if they used the Olympic title. So Improv Olympic became IO. Mm -hmm. It was only five years old at the time. So long form improvisation was pretty uh, new and crunchy. Uh, Almost, yeah. And it was also a competition, almost like a cage match you would see now, Mm -hmm. a days. And, uh, so I started doing that, and I never really thought I would be at Second City. But a few years after uh, I was with IO, and I was with a special team called Blue Velveeta, which really ended up being an exceptional team, really kind of broke out. Um, and I was the girl on the team. Who else was Seven on that girl team? was a coup. Who and then, was, uh, who else was then on we that created team? a theater, McNapier and a right. bunch of us created a theater called the Annoyance Theater, Mm. which um, was a different way to access comedy through uncensored, uh, uncensored content. (laughs) And that's, I'll just leave it at that. And uh, then about 10 years after that, I was invited to be on the main stage at Second City. So I work with all three of the theaters in the city. I do a show at every single one every week. Um, Every Tuesday I'm at IO, every Thursday I'm at the, uh, the Annoyance and every Friday I'm at Second City. I love this city as as the epicenter of um, innovative improv, but it's extremely exciting because inter- internationally people come to Chicago all the time and then they bring it back to where they are and then they make it their own. Mm. So I've seen the evolution and the growing pains of improv. And boy, have I watched Growing Pains. <laughs> I've watched cities fight each other and say, I'm right. No, I'm more right. As a matter of fact, my friend Rachel Mason, who's the head of long-form improvisation at Second City, she and I tour together a lot as the boys, so people can watch women play balls out so they don't blame men for their bullshit. And uh, Rachel and I um, actually did a tiny web series called I'm Provising Right, and it's these two horrifying women who improvise right. <laughs> Wait, is, so I, I apostrophe M ellipsis provising right. Yes. Okay. I apostrophe, capital I apostrophe, right. capital M, huh. profiling right. And okay. That's on the Second City Network. Right. Who was, uh, can, I, can I ask you, uh, who was in the Blue Velveeta with you? Blue Velveeta was uh, Jay Leggett, who called uh, In Living Color and a bunch of other stuff, um, who is our only dead teammate. He's still dead. Oh. Uh, he died two years ago after bagging uh, a deer going hunting, and then he had a heart attack. Um, yeah, but, but he got his deer first. Uh, we miss him bad. And my friend, Mitch Rouse, Kevin Dorf, uh, Brian McCann, Brian Blondell, uh, Tom Booker and Brendan Sullivan. That was Blue Velveeta. And all these guys are still in the business in one way or another. 
Tommy runs the Institution Theater in Austin, Texas. Mitch is in Hollywood doing Hollywood things, as is Kevin, who wrote for Conan forever and now does a bunch of comedy shows. All of them. All of them are busy. Busy. I think in Chicago. But, I mean, I'll go I'll go other cities to do stuff. Mm-hmm. But Chicago's my bitch. I like Chicago. How so that is the story. You should come, uh, come out to Istanbul and um, do a show here. <laughs> I would love to come to Istanbul and do a messing with a friend. I'll bring Rachel. Huh? Man, I'll tell you something that's interesting. Rachel and I, we said to the Second City people, why don't you send us to Japan to teach? And they're like, because they won't learn from a woman. Isn't oh, that no. interesting? Well, it's... It, it's consistent with, with the kind of thing they keep saying about Japan and like the... Which is that they won't learn from a woman. <laughs> well, no. Well, you know, like the the, the different the, the different etiquette and like sort of social norms about how men and mm. women are allowed to behave. Um, so what's Which know. is changing though. Because yeah. I mean, if you thought back to the 60s or 70s, did you think there'd be a bunch of girls in like really short skirts with high ponytails going mookie kaki you know what i mean like what is <laughs> right. that there's something about like when right. when someone says like they won't learn from a woman at some point they were probably right but they're going to keep saying it long after they're wrong hmm. so like it's it's very likely that that we've actually reached that point and they're just they don't know could be well you know what though the, but that's where second city needs to step in and say these are your teachers yeah and get right. up for yourself because actually some of those guys came to the states and they did a boys show and Rachel and I, we play as hard as, you know, as anybody. And uh, I think somewhere during the middle of the show, we invited them up to, to play with us. And I kept looking at, oh, shut up. Stupid. <laughs> um, what we, we've discovered though, that they, um, they kept looking to the men for, affirmation as opposed to the women i'm like Hmm. i'm gonna take what you just did and i'm gonna rub your face into it and so (laughs) i i mean i don't take umbrage to any of this at all i'm like that's your loss but um but ultimately that's really gonna have to change a little bit you know i although chicago is so evolved that when i hear other cities complaining that men still make us this and men still make us that in the beginning i was unpleasantly um not compassionate about it i was like get over it and then i then i had to say you know what this is still where they are they're 20 years behind us in terms of that so i'm gonna have to figure out ways to make the women so fucking powerful it doesn't really matter does it so would you say that chicago generally has has moved on from like years yeah years years 20 years they even even i would say 15 years ago the theaters all figured out that I mean now, if there's only one or two games in town and city, I understand people get a little territorial, mm-hmm. but they're going to have to get over that as well. Because if they think of ourselves as an improv community, Second City needs IO, needs the annoyance. They all need each other. Yeah. Because yeah. the more rounded performers they are, the better we are. IO teaches IO for me is about group dynamic and the power of the group and how beautiful art can be created through commitment and recommitment to your choices instead of funny choices and how there is truth in comedy. 
Uh, Second City is dealing with social and political satire. Mm -hmm. And the annoyance, you're doing whatever the hell you want. So you can sit there and go mooka, 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 mooka for four hours. And that's no less integrity filled than anything you're doing at I.O. Just because you hear there's a moniker of intelligent comedy. But every theater needs each other. And every theater gets me off. And every theater is my home. So I I don't. Yeah, that problem. That's a big problem in Istanbul with the Turkish groups. It's kind of like Game of Thrones here. It's not like. But that's that happens every other place. I mean, I travel all over the world and I see this happen all the time. Like, this is my sandbox. And I'm like, have you guys gone back to the theory of improv and actually walked your fucking talk? Let me tell you something. When I do great work at I.O., you don't think that doesn't reflect on the annoyance that doesn't reflect on Second City? It's just stupid thinking. When I hear and I hear this in other cities, I just I heard it in New Orleans. If you play at this theater, you can't play at this. Get a hobby, asshole. Um, You know, the longer I've done the longer I've done this, the more I have discovered that I really don't give a shit about your form. A form is just a house where them bitches live. (laughs) <laughs> and if you like your characters, time passes. I guess people yeah. get really excited about form because they start seeing in the beginning, like, what is that? But a lot of people who watch, I think form needs to be there to support you guys. So what it's doing is it's it's a house to play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets very excited about learning it. And then everybody gets worried that... What's the new, they start jonesing for the new, better, more interesting form to add to your arsenal. And I'm saying, well, what's your strengths? What do you enjoy doing? And can you not, I mean, I've seen people make up a new form in a minute. Really, everything's been done before and nothing's ever been done before. You know what I mean? So I'm excited, first of all, that they're getting interested in long form. Not to say that I don't think that short form has its own integrity. It absolutely does. It's just not my favorite. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of known at this point for my formlessness. Every Tuesday I do a show at IO called Blessing, and Blaine and I don't have a form. I mean, he's the one who created Improvised Shakespeare. Thursday I do Messing with a Friend. Yes, elements, definitely elements and bits and pieces come back all the time, but I don't have to say, this is coming back and I have to make this happen. It just, there's a physical intelligence displayed that, that you justify and then you go, oh, that thing's back there. Oh, that's why. So, so much of it, this is discovery for me versus invention. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, I'm playing with a bunch of rabid ferrets over at Second City called The Boys. And it looks like an acid trip. It does. It just looks like an acid trip. But games make people happy. Not funny. I don't, you know, we don't get to decide what's a good game. All games are good. And they make us happy and they make the audience happy because games are facts and they just, everybody seems to want to glom back onto that. And that's exciting how things just happen to come around as opposed to finding the game, which is a misnomer. sounds like there's a game there and we're too stupid to find it. Mm. Anything we do more than once is a game. It's a, you know, I have a game for me that you can't take away no matter what plot you stick me in. Which is another thing, too. I think a lot of times people initiate a scene and they think to themselves, oh, shit, that's my scene. Or somebody else initiates a scene and they're like, wah, it's their scene. I'm like, nah, it's just right. the beginning. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a two-person scene. But I, I th- first of all, A, I commend you guys for stretching this so far because 
a lot of people are like, what is this? Or should I do it? Or unless it looks like whose line is it anyway, mm -hmm. it's not palatable. Yeah. I mean, even though they love it in London, unless it's covered in Jane Austen, you know, they get a little funky too sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean organic? Yeah. That creeps them out. And I'm like, oh, it's the best thing in the world. But, mm -hmm. you know, then again... I guess everybody's got their own idea, but it's a safety net for some people. And I'm not really interested in doing anything but taking a risk at this point in my life, you know? I feel like... Which really isn't that risky. It's it's not so much the form that is the hook. It's not like people like really even necessarily like your average person understands short form versus long form. It's just that like exactly. when I say that I don't do improv comedy, I say I do improv theater. Because like most of the shows that we do are funny, but I feel like if, if things happen in the show that aren't funny, it's not going to like bug me. It's not going to like disturb my my sense of whether or not the show was good or not. And for you to say like yeah, to somebody that I like think... we're doing a show that's completely improvised. And I, I had this slogan that I put on our Facebook page, which was like 100% improvised, 80% funny. That 20% that's not funny well, is the part that people really remember. Here's the thing. I mean, I've been a comedian for 30 years. When my audience isn't laughing, it doesn't mean they're not fascinated. Yeah. Like a mm -hmm. car accident. Right. Or Christian TV, where you're like, are you kidding me? Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. when my audience laughs, it's a plosive release of tension. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't, yes, comedy's in the title, but that's not my goal. It's a consequence of what I do. Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny, actually, that the, the players, particularly, I mean, myself and, and Khan and uh, a lot of our other performing colleagues, um, haven't been doing improv for, for that long, maybe a, a year or two. Uh, maybe a tiny bit more, a tiny bit less. And the form is kind of a, a big thing for us that we're moving to doing our mandos and a couple of people are getting nervous and we're, we're yeah. getting close to doing our first one and everything else. But then whenever you speak to an audience member, they, they don't even notice there's a, there's a pattern. Yeah, yeah, they can't even tell that we have a form to begin <laughs> yeah, with. They I mean, I was talking, I've got, like my flatmate comes to basically every show and we're doing it in the run, and I mentioned to him, like, well, you know we're in order, so the person at the front goes up next. He's like, oh, I never noticed the person at the front going next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and no, nobody gives a shit. No one yeah. cares. And, you know, so you, I mean, we don't obsess over the thing, but obviously yeah. the, the form to some extent means something to us, but, um, and particularly as we're fairly new, when we started, obviously it was quite a nice framework to, to yeah. start within. Um, but, yeah, ultimately the, I mean, we were doing the Laurent, uh I don't know, a month or so ago, and... Some, somebody kind of alluded to like a cat on the floor or something like that. And I was, I was in the queue kind of, but several people were ahead of me and I thought, oh, I'd love to go on now and be the cat. But I was like, I can't, it's a, it's a Laurent and you know, I have to right. make my turn yeah, or whatever. And I was like, fuck Laurent, this is, this is shit. Like, <laughs> this, this should be more fluid than that. And then, I, and, but then there's another part of me that's like, well, the guy who comes every single week doesn't even realize that we're in a queue here. Yeah, so if yeah. I just broke and jumped and lay on the floor silent for a that's minute, true. no one's going to care. Yeah. Um, so except the guy that was oh, about no, to go on. Except for the guy who's about to go on, but he can roll with it. They yeah. can improvise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we're not such big world people. We don't give a crap. Remember, mm -hmm. it's just it's it's there to support you. It's not there. Rules aren't even rules for me. Mm -hmm. Rules are suggestions that might get you off faster. That's it. Yeah, yeah. A guideline. That's why. That's why people who improvise write. You know that really is fascinating to me, and about as interesting to watch as watching dirt grow. You know, yeah. right? I mean, definitely. When when we first started, when we first um, adopted the Laurent as a form, we were still it was still very early days for us comparatively, and we were just coming off of trying to do uh, like rapid fire theater sports type stuff. And, yeah. and and I think basically because we were as new as we were, it instantly 
like for me at least, I instantly felt more comfortable doing it than than with anything previously. And uh, but I'm all, but I'm definitely at the point where like the switch to the Armando is coming up, and I it doesn't actually make me nervous particularly. It's, it feels like it's starting to chafe. Like the rules, yeah, are, the rules were like useful at the beginning, yeah, yeah, because they sort of gave you a sense of like order about what you were doing. But now it's like you guys are have reached the point where it's like starting to chafe a little Well, we already had a chafing point. There was, we, we used to start the Laurens with an audience suggestion and then it would go into, I want such and such. So this, yeah, yeah. you know, we'd, yeah, we'd, all, we'd all create a sentence that started with, I want, and then pick one of them as the opening line. And uh, after a while, I remember saying in rehearsals, like, could we please get rid of the I want things? Yeah. It's holding us back. And it means <laughs> yeah. every single set, every single scene starts with one person requesting something of another person. Yeah. That's often crazy. And so the other person exactly. either, either, either responds, are you mad? Or, yeah, all right, let's go, you know, let's go. Let's go a... get that thing that you want. Yeah. yeah. And then it becomes like the quest for the, yeah. the for MacGuffin the or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, it was, and it was shit. So we, so luckily we've been stripping it anyway. But I would like to strip it further. I think the audience really wants us to be in the moment because if I smell it, touch it, taste it, and feel it on my on stage, the audience does. Mm -hmm. They just want to be there with you. That's why that rapid fire stuff that you were just talking about is not very satisfying because everybody we know is funny. So the only way you can heighten funny is to be funnier. And good luck with that. Yeah. After a while, that means you're depending on your affirmation is coming from a plosive release of laughter from your audience. And like I said beforehand, it doesn't matter when my audience isn't laughing. There, if if I am fully invested in the moment, the best kind of laugh I can get in improv is this one. <laughs> like yeah. watching puberty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Turkey, you know... Puberty is the same in Istanbul as it is in in Detroit. That's one of the things that, you know, I'm excited about you guys not just performing for expats and that feeling of responsibility, but also using improv as a tool to um, open up our audiences to see what is traditional Turkey and and to see how we are going to... um, Integrate them into the board. This and break them in. <laughs> yeah. Because I think they would love this. Yeah. You know? It is interesting, actually. We, well, our group, is, our group is fairly mixed when it, comes to, um, when it comes to nationalities. Like, we do have a few Turks. I'm actually one of them. Sort of. I'm, I'm a Turk on a technicality. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice slipping. Yeah. We've, got, uh, we've got an Italian on the team. And uh, we had a really great Turkish person on the team before. Yeah. Uh, Syrian, Armenian, Syrian Armenian person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, English. That's awesome. English, yeah. like who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a fair decent mix, but it, it is interesting. Um, the because I because uh, I've had some experience uh, in a Turkish theatre sports group, um, along with a couple of friends of mine, uh, and it's definitely like. Um, it was interesting to note that, like, all the terminology they use with regards to improv is still English terminology, which to me suggests that it's still that it's still a growing thing. You know, it's still fairly young, even though uh, the the sort of the, the group, the company they were a part of is, is a company that your average person on the street in Istanbul might conceivably have heard of because they've had like right. a couple of like short running TV shows and yeah. stuff. That was, um, the, that was the group I did workshops with when I first moved here. Right. Um, but well, but they'll still talk, talk about, you know, the game of a scene rather than, you know, some Turkish word. They say they like made up Yanmak, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and like the warm-up games and stuff that they use generally have 
English names because it, it's all transplanted. They do like from Monster the Boogie. They do the the one two three, you know, yeah. Yeah. shaky yeah, yeah. account off thing. But, uh, but I introduced the the butt shake. Oh, okay. That then was me. The I, I brought that innovation to Istanbul <laughs> because when I first came here, they were just doing the hands and the feet. Right. But I introduced the turnaround of the butt shake. Oh. You're supposed to be grateful for that. Was me. Well, give me a high five. You've enriched my culture, Curtis. Um, but so one, one cool thing that happened with it was, um, was that the group I was in was, was English language, though like over half of us were Turkish, because the concept was to, to attempt uh, like an English language Turkish group that could, be, that could attract like casual Turkish viewers as well, not just like the Excellent. expat crowd. Um, and, and one of us, one of the group's members, uh, who's Turkish had very little English when we started, like, like very, very little. And it improved as we went, but, uh, it never, you know, got up to like a, a really high sort of normal conversational level, but he ended up being one of the funniest people in the group, like one yes, of the best performers. Did. Cause he was, he did the thing, the physical performance thing. With language, language was not the barrier. Yeah. Like this improv is a visual art. It's not stand around and say something snarky. If you want to do that, I'll listen to your podcast. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna turn off the video, okay? So that the because the sound's coming through a bit uh, foggy at the moment, just to improve it. Just yeah, save bandwidth. Yeah. We'll see you. All right. Go ahead. Say something. Um. I I just don't think it matters. Um. I I. It's such a visual art. People come to see something, yeah. not to just hear people say funny and heighten it by being funnier. It's like eating a meal full of junk food. You'll get full, but you're like, did I get full from that? So watching someone's shoulders sag, you know they're disappointed. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. watching – we we watch – and that's international. That's beyond language. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. In fact, I wanted to do – at one point, I wanted – uh, during the sort of formation of the group, I wanted to uh, attempt like a fully non-verbal improv performance, like awesome. no, like no speech of any kind, like maybe grunts, you know, but but otherwise like purely visual. Uh, it was uh, it was an idea ahead of its time, shall we say, for for the for the group. But uh, but it's something I actually would kind of like to revisit at some point in the future. I feel like I've had this I've had this conversation with a lot of people where they think like, uh, well, you know, what is it to be so quick? up there to, to think so quickly on your feet. And I'm saying like, well, if you ever see me perform and you like what I've done, if you just go through like the, made like the 10 moments that you've seen me do that you really enjoyed, and then look at the words I said, they were never exceptional, right? It was always just like some kind of straightforward expression of this character's position at that particular moment. Exactly. But if you do it in an honest way, it connects to the audience and that there's that energy and they laugh not so much because it's funny, but because there's just like a human being being a human being up there. And like, if you take this, if you wrote out like our last show as a script, it would be like, whatever. Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't be able to point and say like, Oh, this was funny. This was funny. That was funny. It's only in the, the context of it and the, and the, what you're actually expressing through your, you know, performing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Teddy, did you fall asleep? <laughs> no, no, no. This is tired. There's also, I always want to know whenever, whenever there's um, a particular uh, bit of selfishness or territorialism going on in, in anything. Uh, it could be, it could be within a team. Um, somebody who's particularly selfish or, or something like that. 
Um, I always want to go like, what what precedent are you running off here? Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> whenever something good happens, everyone at the end of it, when they're doing their kind of debrief or their DVD about how successful they've just been, all talks about how they did it for each other and how yeah, uh, everybody yeah. sacrificed and 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 that just each moving part is as important as the other one and everything else. And I'm there's like, never that success story where it's like, well, thank God Bob was there to handle everything, and we yeah. were just sort of. <laughs> no, it's about fear. It's yeah, all yeah. about fear. All of it's about fear, and Absolutely. everything we do in improv is about combating fear. Yeah, because look, joy begets joy. A shit fire begets a shit fire. Have you ever watched an improviser on stage and they're in hell? You can't watch that scene. Yeah. You immediately disconnect and go, oh my God, I'm so worried about you. Yeah. And, and there's only three kinds of improvisers I hate anyway. I suck, you suck, and, the, and they suck, and we suck. Then I'm kind of going, well, you've just invited me to hate your guts. Yeah. yeah just done that on your face. There's a difference between a disgusted character and a disgusted improviser. Right fighters don't last so long in my world. Because in my world, two wrongs make a right. Mm-hmm. I feel I, like there's a uh, uh, there's like a, a strong belief that people have when they come to see improvisation that like well this is really hard to do and what it turns out to be the case is it's just your thinking that it's hard to do that makes it hard and the, the fear that you have of of fucking up or looking stupid and when well, that people, goes away everything else just sort of starts to fall into place. Well, people have decided what people are worried about being funny. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm saying funny funny you you discover through commitment and recommitment to your choices instead of funny choices. So that yeah. doesn't matter anymore. So once people take that out of their lexicon that they are responsible for comedy, comedy starts rising. Yeah. And besides, what people find funny is ridiculous. I'm not saying that when I'm writing a a sketch or punching up a pilot or writing an essay or doing a TED talk that I'm not writing for funny. Believe me, I'm a comedian. I'm writing for funny. Even a twit twat or whatever you kids do with yourselves on the Twitter. Uh, I write a funny twat. You know what I mean? (laughs) But when I'm improvising, somebody's going to come up to me after a show and say, Oh my God, I'm from Topeka. That was so funny. I'm like going, okay. Is there a causal relationship there? Like, I'm from Topeka, therefore that was funny. Well, that, that's what it sounded like. Things, one of the three things will happen in the scene. We'll either sympathize with you, empathize with you, or you're going to educate us. Right. So no matter what, we're interested if you're interested in doing it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And if the sky's the limit, and I get, for me, this is all a sociological study of the human condition. That's why I don't give a crap about your form. Because mm-hmm. scenes to me are about people. They're not about your wacky plot or your funny. They're about people. Yeah. And the more I invest in them, the more I go, oh, my God, that nervous lady's back. I love her. Sometimes people just laugh. Shh. <laughs> I'm talking to Turkey. <laughs> country. No, you shush. I'm, I'm talking to Turkey. 85 million people. <laughs> She's talking. Eight, I'm talking to 85 million people right now. I know. No, I'm just you're making it louder. Um, <laughs> the biggest audience you've ever had. It's true. It's, 85 million people is a lot of people. <laughs> it's a big crowd. It's a lot of people. It's like, you can't count them easily. Like, I don't <laughs> think you can count the first thousand pretty well. It would probably take you the rest of your life if you wanted to make that your, like, mission to count all the people in Turkey. That would be, so, like, an OCD dream nightmare. Because if you've ever, like, counted pennies or something and yeah. you've 
screwed it up. You're, after a while, you start losing that. Oh, you would be starting over all the time, too, because people move around all the time. They don't sit That's still. That's true. Yeah. You'd be like, hey, get over here. For seven, eight, wait, what the fuck? Wait, were you? And yeah, it would be like, you could just do that for the rest of your life. In fact, I think we've, we've accidentally stumbled upon uh, not a cure, but like a, a little outlet for people with OCD. Count Turkish people. Yeah, count Turkish people. Count Turkish people. people. Yeah. Keep, awesome. your, keep your morale up when you keep forgetting the number. And, yeah. 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 You could get a bunch of Turkish people to sit for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. We well, could, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can be done. It seems like a worthwhile what, what, what? adventure to me. Hold on a second. Can you sure. guys truly be quiet? Honestly, I'm talking to Turkey. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, like, this is important. I'm talking Thousands of miles away. We're diplomatic cultural divides. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? I'm ruining, I'm ruining everything. Now Russia's going to be really mad at me, and they're going to talk to me later. Oh, that's right. If you were thinking about playing Moscow, forget it, because you're on the shit list now. Yeah. My boyfriend, Putin? Yeah. <laughs> Boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> boyfriend. Well, if Isn't your boyfriend he... is Putin, then you've, you're probably good. But um, if not, you know. Man he, man, he is such a pompous prick. Between him and Trump, I hope they kill each other. Yeah. Or make out. Well, I hope they make out. <laughs> make at, out and then kill each other. At the risk of, uh, at the risk of somebody in Turkish intelligence listening to our podcast and arresting us later, which is not a very high risk. Uh, but, but not zero. Not zero, though. <laughs> we talked about this earlier. Are yeah, you, you're going to mention the e word. You're going to drop the e word. Yeah, well, well, we have a we have a certain head of state who's kind of like a lower level Putin. I'd He's say. He's got some Trump Trump like qualities. He has some he has some Trump like qualities. He has some uh, Putin esque qualities. He's, so, he's um, very mixed like, as the two. Yeah, with a mustache. And so and so when the two of them get mad at each other, it's like uh, it's like Doctor Evil versus Mini Me. It's uh, you don't really know. Who <laughs> like. Yeah, I saw reading reading or watching anything. In Turkish politics, particularly when uh, when heads of state are talking, is a bit like watching an argument in a in a schoolyard. Yeah, definitely. Just, you you can't win because they're not listening to each other. Yeah, it's like not. a really bad improv. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're trying to outshout one another and like. It's either a really bad improv scene or a really good improv scene. <laughs> it's good reality TV. There it's you like go. you know, like brings back brings about bad realities, though. Yeah, you know, I was. I always say that like an argument, um, like characters can argue in a scene, but improvisers yeah. should improvisers should never argue in a scene. Like you know yes. what I mean. And uh, I feel like there, it's the it's the second one with these guys. Aww. <laughs> uh, I, I think you know. I think sometimes it's like my you know. My truck's bigger than your truck kind of argument. I mean, honestly, if you thought about it, I really believe that if improv was used more with governments, I'm not joking. They use it in medicine. They use it um, to help Fortune 500 companies. I really think that improv could be used to support governments in learning how to agree again. People think that their status means that they get to say no. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what they've worked so hard for, and I'm going, but that's such an idiocy because that stops forward momentum. And, yes, yeah. we can disagree on – on opinion but agree on fact and yeah. this is it just gets more and more stupid so i think more i think that's another reason why people get so involved in improv now is they are just looking for one place in their world where everybody can be agreeable if only for a moment it really yeah, is a yeah. breath of fresh air well you know we were uh, the last last year i guess technically at this point we were talking to it was jay right who was who did corporate yeah, Jay. yeah. We're talking to Jay Suko, who who does like those corporate uh, uh, improv lesson things, and 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 I was interested when I heard that he did this because at first it sounded like you know 
kind of, I don't know, dehumanizing or something, I guess, like to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. But as we talked about it, I think we came to the conclusion that uh, it would probably benefit us if if people in corporations got better at communicating with each other like human beings, you know, rather yes. than rather than like succumbing to the, the dehumanizing structure. Um, I, yeah. So I think that's applicable to, to governments as well, like you're saying. I think improv, improv has definitely made me into a better person, not a good person. No, that you've, well, you've got a long way to go. But a better person. Yeah. A better, better than I was before I was doing it. I think without better. improv, I'd be absolutely hateful. Yeah. Improv forces me to rub my face into it every single day and to revisit. Um, I think also being a parent, of course. Mm. I'm sure you feel that with your kid as well, that you don't want to be a hypocrite. But when I walk my talk, I rock. And when I don't, I suck as bad as if I'd started 30 minutes ago. Yeah. And as far as being oh, a human God, being, so when I see the reflection of my husband is a really awesome, moral, kind, brilliant, smart, like silver fox, sexy boy. Like, does he, he know really about Putin? <laughs> Michael McCarthy. I'm married to Michael McCarthy. Does he know about, does he know about you and Putin? Um, my boyfriend? Yeah. Because yeah. I have some boyfriends. Like okay. I have my boyfriend, Andrew Alexander. I have my All boyfriend, right. TJ Dagadowski. I have a All couple right. boyfriends. I'm cool. Like, cool. I don't, you know, they're just boyfriends. They're yeah, yeah. boys who are friends. You know, boyfriends. Sure, sure. Yeah. Like, Putin and I braid each other's hair and stuff. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, right. oh, his pubic hair is so long. Anyway. <laughs> that, does, that does not surprise me. Yeah, I mean, so I've seen it, but I've seen it like the way that you see your grandfather's ball sack in the hospital, and mm. you're kind of like, I shouldn't have seen that. Right, right. Try to give him some integrity, but it's right. not a sexual thing. You kind thing. of pretend that you didn't see it. Unless it is a sexual thing for you, in which case I would re-examine how you view sex, because that's just not right. We can talk about my sexual fallibility another time. Um, I'm sure it comes out on stage every single time. Oh, yes. We have a sister podcast that's all about Khan's obsession with Putin's ball sack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. It's uh, it's kind of niche, but uh, it serves its purpose. We have one listener, and it's me. <laughs> it's Putin wanting to know. You know what? One follower sometimes is one follower too many. <laughs> That's fair. Um, hey, we 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 completely interrupted you. You were talking about your husband. No, you didn't interrupt me at all. Mm. Michael Michael is just you know there are just a lot of people in this world who really kind of remind you to do your best. Yeah, and yeah. the best thing about improv for all of us as well is once you reach a point where you're like wow, I'm really good at this thing, that's when you keep going. Mm -hmm. We keep going, okay, now I teach, or now I do this, you know, and we go, okay, we're done. And I'm saying, no, that's when a whole can of worms opens up, and you have to start a brand new shit fire. So for everything that you fix or figure out, then something else comes, rears its ugly head. And that's just part of your own evolution as a human being. And so that means that what's so exciting about improv is you never are done When I go to Los Angeles, sometimes I'll see people haven't grown in the work. I'll be Mm -hmm. like, ooh, that's pretty 2005 or, wow, that's 1998 of you. You know what I mean? (laughs) And maybe it's because I'm lucky enough to be in the epicenter of this work. You know, so I'm always watching it grow and evolve and I don't have to rest on my petty laurels because I'm constantly being challenged. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I found that. And I invite that for everyone. Wherever they go, because like I said, there's right improv everywhere. You can you know? always be you can always be terrified as an improviser. 
if you choose. Uh, you to know be. what? Even then, I'm going to say instead of te- being terrified, I'm gonna I'm gonna re I have to reframe everything to talk myself in because otherwise, I'd rather just be sitting on my couch high or something. Um, <laughs> so, so as far as that, even then, I can't believe this is still as important to me as it was when I started. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. I only have one rule, and everybody's pretty much heard it. And it's if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Mm-hmm. So. Before a show, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be the asshole, and it's my rule, and it's my show. I'm such an asshole. Hey, thanks for being my friend. I'm going to kill myself. And then my desire to create supersedes the weirdness that I have to go through in order to create, and I get off again. I have to say this every single time. I do this three times a fucking week. I always have a moment just before a show where it's like – my mother used to tell me that she used to have these weird moments where she would, like, wake up in the middle – in the morning and think to herself, what if I forget how to drive? And she would just be like paralyzed by fear. And I have the same thing just before I go out on stage. Like, what if I just forget how to do this? Like, what if I just, I just completely forget it all. And then it, then that passes. And then I go out there and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. This is now familiar. But, but you see, even after all this time, I mean, I think I teach for incredibly selfish reasons. It's because when I walk my talk, I rock. Nobody has more fun than I do. And I win. And everybody goes, oh, my God, I'm having so much fun. She's so good. But I'm going – I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but it's a constant battle to connect with human beings. I think I think everybody in this world, if we all sat alone for just long enough, would just be absolutely autastic. I don't know if it, anymore it's a natural inclination to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. It's something we crave, but we're not necessarily good at it. I think more people should be teaching too because I, I think a lot of people – like I've – I've talked to some people that I know who say like, you know, I, I would like to give a workshop, but I don't know if I'm really good enough or whatever. I said, do the workshop because I actually learned as much teaching yep. as I've, as I've done actually being on stage. It was a yep. huge step forward when I got here. Cause I, in Chicago, I wasn't doing any workshops. And when I came here, I was like the guy from Chicago, the American from Chicago. All of them. And yeah. there was a bunch of Turks who were just like interested in me just because of that fact. And I was able to teach just on, on those uh, on on that basis alone, and it was a huge step forward in my in my uh, work. Yeah. But it's also teaching. terrifying because you're like, oh my god! I'm I remember being in class and having like some guy being a real dick in a. I was doing an exercise called Busby Berkeley that I made up high in my tub years ago, and uh, and and we were doing a Busby Berkeley, and afterwards this guy had been a real dick, and he kind of I hate to say you can ruin it just by being an asshole and saying, I suck, you suck, and this sucks. And he did. And afterwards, his partner turned to him and she said, may I say something now? And since the class was huge, half of the class saw it, and I was about to say something. And I said, no, no, go ahead. And she said, I would never choose to play with you again to this guy. She said, you made me feel so stupid with your attitude. And everybody in the class was like, (gasps) And I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh shit, I'm the teacher. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to go back in and go, uh, hmm, tell me about that exercise. And now that didn't work you. But meanwhile, I'm thinking, oh man, there's a shit storm going to happen. And I'm like, oh man, I have to control this. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean? You just wanted to sit and watch probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who doesn't like a shit fire? Yeah, yeah. You to sit back and watch them destroy each other. It's kind of interesting for about a minute until you realize – well, if they destroy each other, that's your fault, Susan. Right. So, right. so I had to go and kind of create a sense of calm, bring some calm back. And I, it's all about dealing with people's frustrations. And hmm. God knows what people are dealing with on any given day. You know what I mean? And I get that. But sometimes I'll, like, be really hard on somebody and then find out they have ADD yeah. or they have no peripheral vision 
literally. <laughs> and, and I'll have to go, I'm so sorry. Let's work within that structure. You <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah. yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there's more has got to be done to come uh, every single day. I think of my life, I've looked around and I'm still stunned by how crap people are at communicating with each other. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, that's what, you know, Second City has a whole new program that is just dealing with people on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, oh, and wow. teaching them actually, and they also have ones for um, anxiety disorders as well. But, I mean, think about people who have autism. They don't have a natural sense of wanting to reach out. So you actually have to teach them how to have basic communication skills as a person before even play nicely with the other kids like we all do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's an amazing and we didn't have autism when I was growing up. When I was growing up we didn't have peanut allergies and autism. Oh, hang on. Just a sec. Uh, you broke up a little can you, yeah. kill you, can you turn your camera off? It might save some of the bandwidth. What? Can you turn your camera off? It might save some of the bandwidth. There should be, I, um, okay, like if you, um, t like towards the bottom of the window, there should be something that looks like a little video camera. If you can click yeah. on that. If you uh, click if you on can that. Try clicking on it if you can see it. Got it. It's off. Okay. okay. We're, I think we're a bit clearer now. Well, anyway. All right. Cool. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just fine. sitting outside smoking, so I don't no, know. no, no, go for it. Um, yeah, so what was it? Oh yeah, G uh, can you, can you just uh, repeat yourself from we didn't have autism when I was younger or peanut allergies? Right. Yeah, because that's always super fun to revisit. Um, yeah. um I, when we were little, we didn't. When I grew up, I mean, I grew up in the '60s and the '70s. I was born in 1963. I'm an oldie. Um, so when I was growing up, we didn't have autism. Right. We didn't have peanut allergies. We didn't have those kind of strange, um, strange social disorders that really have become incredibly apparent. And that improv has been used now to help people on the spectrum just even learn basic communication skills that they didn't have beforehand. Yeah. It's just fascinating. That's I'm I'm really um, I'm really quite impressed that there's a program for things like that. It just it feels so beyond like what the kind of thing that would show up in turkey for instance well <laughs> like, I, I, th that's literally I, like 20 years ahead of like like turkey's like support systems for people with autism i'm sure well the applications for improv i mean when i started it was cute little make-em-ups yeah. now it's insane now they're helping alzheimer's patients stay in the moment with improv it's, can, i mean it's oh, crazy. There a great uh, there was a great story i heard on one of the podcasts that I listened to about Alzheimer's and this couple that were dealing with the, the wife's mother who had Alzheimer's and uh, they were both actors, but the husband did a lot of improv. And um, what they learned was when you have an Alzheimer's patient is to just accept, do the yes and thing. So if the Alzheimer's patient thinks that it's like 1948 or whatever, and, mm. and there's a war on you just say, Oh yeah, that's terrible. You know, like, right. uh, uh, you know, and you just sort of agree and you sort of like live in that moment with that, with that Alzheimer's, alt, you live the moment that the Alzheimer's patient is living with that person. We did that with Instead of grandpa. fighting that person and saying, no, it's not 1948, it's 2015. And cause you're just fucking with the person at that point. Like yeah. that's where that person is and just meet that person where he is. And, and, it, and, and it, what's interesting about that is the recall of being in a camp in, in, you know, Belson Belson or something mm -hmm. is just as vivid to them in that moment as it is for you that you just made a cup of tea. I mean, they just, 
when they're dealing with the specificity because specificity is what kills ambiguity in an improv scene and that's what gets people off that's what they find funny not not yeah. your funny joke because anything in improv that it, you think is funny you actually if you make a funny statement you have to actually prove it and turn it into fact yeah, because right, otherwise right. it just sits there like a funny joke you're and getting it, ahead of yourself at that point it's like putting yeah. the cart before the horse exactly <clears throat> That Belson Belson, that's a high stakes initiation, though, I gotta say. Well, it could be, it could be a lot worse. I could, if I heightened it, it would be Auschwitz. So, yeah. so Bergen Belson is, is really not too much. Actually, I said Belson Belson. It's really Bergen Belson. It is, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. I also said Belson Belson, but I was just, a, you know, I was yes anding you. Yes, you were. Well, two wrongs make a right. By the end, you'll believe that there was a, camp, a slightly smaller. We camp just created camp. a death camp. Out of nothing, you and I. She's been a productive well, actually, podcast. It was, more, it was more of a typhoid camp, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a typhoid slash gypsy camp. Nice. Oh, there we go. Nice. Thank you. Um, I'll be here all week. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, um, so you're still, you're still pretty active on the improv scene. Is there anything you'd like to uh, plug or recommend? To, uh, people to the people of battle. Turkey, most of, our, no, most of our listeners are in America. So. That, that's true. We we do have American listeners, so they we have might... literally tens of listeners in America. Yeah, literally. That's tens. a lot. Yeah. It's not it's not eighty five million Turks, but it's it's a lot. Well, we'll find um, a way. It's all relative, right? Yeah. On, Tues on Tuesday nights, I'm at the I.O. every Tuesday night at 10.30 p.m. in a show called Blessing with a man called Blaine Swen, who you might have heard created a show called Improvise Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, on Thursday nights, I am at the Annoyance Theater in a show called Messing with a Friend. We are in our 10th year at the Annoyance. It was a show that started actually at Second City in their Unhinged series then went to I.O. and then landed at home at the Annoyance. And uh, that I play with someone new every single week, and that keeps me on my toes. And every Friday I'm at the Second City at 9 p.m. in a show called The Boys, and we are just playing like rabid ferrets. <clears throat> random listeners, if you want to, uh, and non-random listeners, you don't have to be random to do this. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want, to, if you have any questions you'd like us to address or people that you'd like us to try and talk to, or if you'd like to talk with us on the show, you can mail us at improvsoundoff at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Susan, for being on our tiny little Istanbul podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to everyone who listened to this episode and see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>